You just can't have a good life unless you understand death in the first place. Religion, again, is, is about bodies. It's only secondarily about things we believe in our heads. Singing and dancing and crying and mourning and praying, all these things are, are very physical activities and they engage our bodies. And this is true around marriage ceremonies as, as well as uh, coming of age ceremonies, as well as uh, um, funeral, uh, burial, memorializing ceremonies. They, they're all meant to sort of ideally engage our bodies. From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. We all have beliefs on where our soul goes upon death. What remains is just that, remains. How do we honor the vessel that held the person we used to know, from earth to water and even to the sky? Delivering the body back to dust contains deep ritual for many faith traditions. I spoke with Hamilton College professor S. Brent Rodriguez Plate to find guidance on the comfort of the ritual of passing. Brent, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you recently wrote an article that I found fascinating in the publication of the Rubin Museum, and you talked about death, but specifically about green remains. I read that anthropologists use the time of the beginning of the human race marked by the period that people began to bury their own. So burying the dead is foundational not only to religion, but to humanity itself. You've studied how people deal with end of life today. What are some of the things that, uh, what are some of the examples? Yes, like you said, anthropologists, uh, you know, this has been an important thing for uh, looking at uh, the history of the world and physical anthropology, the, the, the history of humans. What do we do with dead bodies? And uh, of course, it goes back hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, we have evidence of people doing some sort of symbolic acts around uh, death. How do we care for the death, dead body? Well, they started developing burial uh, performances, uh, bringing in flowers. There's evidence of flowers being used, uh, using red ochre to sort of uh, mark the body in various ways or mark the uh, areas. Um, so it's a very deeply ingrained in our, not just our species, but we know, of course, Neanderthals and Homo naledi and other, other similar species that uh, had burial practices as well. So it's, it's very important um, part of who we are uh, as human beings, as Homo sapiens. And it continues to the present day. Of course, we got more and more developed over the ages, more and more interest in uh, the symbolic creations of uh, burials. We keep recreating. I guess that's the thing. We keep recreating the ways we bury our dead and we come up with new ideas. In some ways, it's the same old thing. It's, it's a body that is no longer uh, living, uh, no longer breathing, no longer brain waves, no longer heart beating. Uh, and yet we're still... Um, having to deal with it in various ways. It doesn't matter who we are, what social class or anything. Of course, we have to deal with uh, the dead in, in a number of ways. So we've figured out a number of symbolic actions to do, another number of ways to uh, memorialize. It's, it's both for the dead body, but it's also for the community that lives on. And into the present day, we've uh, one of the common things is, is, of course, what we call burial. You dig a hole in the ground some way and put the, put the body into that. Of course, that's not universal, but uh, that is a very common way across traditions is to, to bury it. 
as we got into the 19th century in the especially Europe and the United States and industrialized countries we began to professionalize our death industry and we created caskets and ever more elaborate cemeteries and it became a big uh, industry it is a big industry in some ways it, it professionalized the attitudes towards the dead body. Uh, we gave it over to other people. We paid them to take away the, the body of our loved one, to dress it up, to embalm it, to put it into a, a casket that uh, doesn't necessarily biodegrade it anytime soon. And um, that's been a, become an important issue for people uh, concerned with the environment. Uh, because this, the embalming fluids are quite um, toxic to the environment. Uh, the caskets that are used, uh, again, they don't break down. Uh, they're steel and, and made to survive for long periods of time. Uh, and that all has uh, bad effects on the environment. So a number of groups have started to do, so for one, cremation. Cremation is a fairly, fairly recent thing. Now the point funeral directors in the United States project that probably 70% of all burials will be done as cremations in the next um, in the next 10 years or so but we've also had a number of uh, green gr interest in what we call green burials so natural cemeteries where people are not in you know your traditional cemetery with the sort of grass and you know they kind of look like golf courses in some ways and sort of uh, takes a lot of upkeep to keep these things looking nice so now they're more like forests, more like natural woodland areas, and people are buried uh, without caskets or maybe with simple caskets. So there's a number of uh, number of options that have gone on in these in these new burials these days, and they're really fascinating the way people uh, continue to sort of reinvent the burial practices uh, for a for a contemporary age. Yeah, what made you get interested in the subject of death and death practices in the first place? I think for me, I, it's hard to it's hard to say exactly, but I I often think back to the time when I was eleven and my uh, grandfather died. I was lucky enough to not have really anybody close to me die until I was about eleven years old, and even my even my grandfather who died at that time was not particularly uh, close to me. He lived across the country, but I remember going to the funeral and his he was there in the casket. He had been embalmed and my family went there and the extended family, of course, was there and they were going up to look at the my grandfather's body and I couldn't do it. Um, I had never mm -hmm. seen a dead body before, and I couldn't couldn't go up and look at it. And it, I stayed in the back, and I just kind of cried, and I, you know, didn't didn't know what to do. I was not prepared for it, and I think about that as very kind of instrumental for a lot of my interests in not just uh, death and how we view death, but also interest in the body and what bodies tell us about um, being human and uh, how we are religious. So that's continually uh, gone through my mind and I've, I've written a fair amount. Uh, and at one point I thought about doing a whole book project on uh, sort of visions of death and, and interested in the kind of ways we think or the ways we see uh, the dead body and the way the dead body sometimes is taken away from us. We, we don't show it. So I think there's something something not quite right in that. And I'm, I'm interested in that cultural process that's altered that for us. And maybe there's ways to do this better, I think. there uh, I'm sure there are. Um, also, religion itself is very important in many people's death and after death. And 
but religions very often approach death and approach the burial, approach the uh, the ceremony quite differently. What are some of the differences in the way uh, religions of all kinds treat people who have just died? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. Uh kind of thing because you see these some parallels but you also see of course some real differences uh in them for example in the both the jewish and the muslim traditions uh cremation is pretty much forbidden according to most islamic and jewish law um that doesn't mean jews and muslims haven't been cremated in at various times and places but uh, for the most part jewish and muslim law both um uh, does not or let's say it prohibits cremation so the ceremonies are tend to be fairly simple, especially within uh, Islam, where basically it's just wrapping the body in a, uh, in a linen cloth and, uh, and putting it in the ground. Um, it's done very quickly. It, it needs to be done soon after death. Um, and so it's, it's a green funeral. <laughs> They've been doing this, of course, for over a thousand years. Same for, uh, for the Jewish tradition as well. It's just very simple, uh, kind of treatment of the body, no cremation. Christianity has sort of been a little bit different. It's a little more, um, all over the place in, in certain ways. Of course, it's in the sort of modern Christianized West where the, the sort of professionalization of, of the industry, uh, occurred. So it wasn't that there were any strong objections to, uh, to any of the um, processes of, of embalming and uh, putting people in caskets and things like that. That was just sort of seen as a natural sort of progression of, uh, of the way things were done before. In the, in the Christian and in the Christian tradition, there have always been reactions against cremation, and there are certainly parts of Christianity that don't like cremation. And then you've got uh, very different things like uh, the sky, what the directly translated as a sky burial in a place like Tibet where uh, the dead body is taken out into the environment and uh, left to decompose naturally. Uh, often this means uh, some sort of vultures or something like that might pick the body apart. Um, and then, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. One is there's a Buddhist uh, understanding of the world that the body is just an empty shell at this point and the, um, the spirit has sort of moved on at that point. And so the body does not mean anything. So treating the dead body doesn't matter. Uh, at the same time, it's also Tibet is also a very rocky environment. So it's very difficult to dig a grave. So it makes more sense just to leave them out. So there's a number of environmental factors that change these things that are very important. Um, but then there's also religious beliefs. It's, and it's usually a combination of those things that, that change how, uh, how we do this. Um, cremation is a little more popular, say, in a place like Japan. And again, some of that is, is their space concerns. It's a relatively small island, densely populated. So again, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell what, what is the religious belief and what is the environmental material uh, aspect of it that's, that's changing it all. So one of the key issues as we look at uh, religious burial customs around the world is sometimes it's religious belief and a certain theology about the body, but other times it's environmental and physical conditions. So is the um, so a place like New Orleans where the water level is very high, they have to bury people you know in, uh, in, in 
uh, crypts above ground uh, in Japan. They may be more given to cremation and the like. So it's it varies. Um, it's it's not just religious belief. It's also the the physical environment that people live in. And I think it's that's an important thing looking at religious traditions in any kind of way. We have to look at their where they're situated. The uh, the geography of the of the religion uh, is as important as the uh, as the beliefs are oftentimes. One of the things that uh, that kind of amazed me the other day, along what you were saying, this is modern. It, was, it isn't, or it isn't it some strange country? Uh, I had been the caretaker of my ninety-five-year-old uncle who was in another city across the country, and I was with him when he died, and and he was cremated, and I was home a month later, and a package arrived from the postman, handed me a, a, a brown box, and he said, condolences, and it was my uncle in there. And I thought, wow, there's something doesn't feel exactly right about this whole, about this whole experience. Um, back to some of the more unusual ones. Um, you recall that we had uh, made a film called Sacred, and the Malagasy, the people in Madagascar, some, the uh, native people of Madagascar, rebury their dead uh, every year. There's a ceremony in which they go back to the tomb and kind of a mausoleum type setup, and they open it up and they drink a lot and take the bodies out and re kind of rewrap them and put them back away just to kind of celebrate where they came from. Um, are there many other un- unusual kinds of things like that? The, obviously the one in, uh, in Tibet where they put bodies up on top of a mountain and let it get picked away at by, uh, by birds uh, sounds pretty unusual. Yes, it, of course, it all everything seems different from our own uh, from our own vantage point, um, and uh, you know they might uh, people in Madagascar might think ours are are quite strange that we would put people in a box and um, just leave them there underground for a very long time. So yeah, there there's just a, a incredible variety, right? So some of the and some of the newer ones. I mean, I, I think part of what I've been interested in is the the newer developments. So cremation has been, you know, modern cremation has been, um, you know, important for the last maybe hundred, not uh, cremation has gone on for thousands of years, but um, sort of a modern uh, cremation has uh, been around for about a hundred years. Been, I, I, I can't remember the exact dates, but in the UK and the US, it had to be kind of legalized at a certain point. So, but the, the newer cre- Newer uh, groups are, are rising up now and sort of suggesting even cremation as we know it is has got its problems environmentally speaking. Of course, it takes a lot of, um, you know, uh, burning uh, materials, gap, burning natural gases to uh, cremate the body. It has to be a very high temperature. Uh, so that takes a lot of energy to do that. And then the byproducts, of course, the, the smoke um, is uh, environmentally damaging as well. So new new groups have, have risen up that have, they create a kind of alkaline water solution. And basically the body, they put the body in it and it dissolves the body. It's And uh, the, the water eventually disappears and you're just sort of left with a residue. It's not unlike the, the cremains from uh, cremation, uh, but it's done through a water process. And uh, there's a couple new companies um, in the U.S. and the U.K. that are pushing this now as a environmentally an environmentally sound alternative to things. And then the most uh, re- Maybe the most recent, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the most recent, but um, is what gets colloquial called human composting. And um, this is in some ways not unlike the sky burials of Tibet, 
where the body basically is just allowed to break down, to decompose. Uh, the state of Washington in the United States is the first state um, to legalize this. And there are a group of engineers and um, scientists working on creating a, a basically a big it's basically a big composting bin for for human bodies. Um, and they're sort of des- trying to design it in, in sort of thoughtful ways. Um, but basically the body would move through a series of composting chambers and, and just break down over time uh, through natural means. And then at the end, you'd have a, a, a kind of soil that could be used to, you know, uh, fertilize uh, different, uh, different things. Um, so they're, they're, you know, thinking about different ways of, of dealing with a dead body. Again, the environmental issues are really one of the biggest concerns, I think, Driving new practices. Of course, you've got you know all kinds of with the with the rise of the you know spiritual but not religious group. It's a very very defined. People think it's sort of a, a lot of individuals, but it tends to be a fairly defined a group of people who who call themselves spiritual but not religious. But they they're inventing new forms of uh, of funerals and burials and memorials. And uh, among other things that are, I think, kind of noteworthy these days are, are tattoos where someone will, um, they actually will take some of the uh, cremains, some of the cremated remains of a person and mix that in with some of the uh, tattoo ink and then have tattoos put on their body. So basically the, the body of this other person is, is literally injected into your, into your skin and remains a kind of uh, permanent marker there. I read one story several years ago about a, a biking group, a motorcycle group who one of the members died and they cremated his body and they took the cremains and they mixed it with paint. And then all of them painted their bicycle or painted their motorcycles with the, uh, with the paint that had been laced with the uh, cremains of the, of the person. So ways to, you know, different ways to memorialize, to make these lives of other people more continue to be, within our own lives in different ways, whether that's our motorcycle or our skin. Um, you know, it's a very, very prominent human desire to have the person we love uh, live on in our lives, if, you know, if only through memories, but it's not just memories. It's, it's, it's a physical way of sort of showing how our bodies are affected by other people and the, and the loss of other people. And, and I think that's, that's really significant. I mean, I, I, probably won't ever have a tattoo done if someone close to me dies. But um, I, I really, I, I respect the, the sort of thoughtfulness of that and the, the bodily, the grief that goes on with it. And that's a really uh, kind of key part of it is this is grief and mourning um, that, that all these things I think ultimately are, are after better, better ways to grieve and better ways to mourn. One of the things that always uh, impressed me uh, now having a fairly long life and unfortunately having had to uh, deal with uh, the death of many people who were friends and relatives are religious ceremonies. Some religious ceremonies are amazingly powerful and memorable and the kinds of things that you just never forget. How important are those these days in uh, the lives and deaths of people? Religious Ceremonies, I in their in their best forms, of course, are, are powerful and they they stick with us uh, for long periods of time. Of course, they also can just be, you know, uh, rote and routine, and no real no real thought or feeling goes into them. Oftentimes, uh, 
unfortunately, too often that's the case. Um, I think that was true with my grandfather's death way back when. Um, There was nothing memorable about it. The only thing I remember is my own response to uh, a a dead body in a casket. I can't tell you anything else about the, the whole service that was there. In their best forms, religious rituals are able to engage the body. Religion, again, is is about bodies. It's only secondarily about things we believe in our heads and, you know, doctrines that we work out or sacred texts that we that we read. Those are those are always secondary kind of abstractions. Religions work primarily through the body. The reason they last is because they've affected the body uh, in a number of ways. There's there's moving, singing and dancing and crying and mourning and praying. All these things are, are very physical activities and they engage our bodies. And this is true around, you know, uh, marriage ceremonies as as well as uh, coming of age ceremonies as well as uh, um, funeral uh, burial memorializing ceremonies they they're all meant to sort of ideally engage our bodies um, sometimes it's words that are spoken and they, they they move us but very often it's some sort of symbolic actions that are taken that draw people together and make people you know feel the loss not just acknowledge it cerebrally but uh, but really feel the loss in, in the body and and those are the things that stick with us for for long periods of time I think we're we're traditional religions have broken down in in recent years and why you know fewer and fewer people are attending traditional religious ceremonies is because the the, the traditions have, have forgotten how to appeal to the body they're not relevant to to bodily actions and desires uh, in the way they they perhaps used to be so I think uh, I think the part of what these new movements of green burials and the uh, you know interest in other ways of dealing with a dead body and other ways of memorializing people through you know tattoos or, or or painting your motorcycle, what I think all those are going to do is is have impacts on the traditional religious ceremonies, and they're going to have to. Uh, you know, keep up as it were, and sort of adapt uh, new funerals, uh, new new ways of doing their ceremonies. Um, and, and I think that's that's the way traditions have always moved. They've always been they they survive for so long because they've been able to adapt. Um, sometimes it feels like very slowly, but uh, but they do eventually adapt. And I think that will happen with a number of the ceremonies around death and burial and memorialization. There seem to be a lot of creative practices uh, going on these days. How is art connected to all of this? I think art is, I would say it names this creative process in humans. Uh, Again, like burial practices, it goes way back into our evolutionary history uh, we find these um, artistic markings, uh, etchings, carvings. Um, you know, going way back in way back in our human history, and they're, they're, they become part of us. This this creative process, this ability for humans to be imaginative. You know, not just that we have big brains, but that we make things with our big brains. Um, that we um, you know we, we create better tools, of course, better weapons, but we also create better art. Um, because uh, because of various evolutionary structures. And I think uh, art is part of what's made us human. I would say religion is part of what's made us human as well, but, but art is very closely tied to that. Um, we have this propensity to 
to have an imagination and and want to do something with that imagination. And I think that drives rituals. I think there's just there's so much artistry in in just some of the best and most profound rituals there are. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think a Passover meal for, for, for many people who have been through Passover uh, meals, they, they would say it's, it's not terribly exciting. It's, it's boring for, for many people, but I think at its best, it really, there's, there's an artistry involved with it. You know, there's something about eating together and, and a certain set of prayers and uh, coming together and, and symbols that are used that uh, can, in, in its, again, in its ideal and kind of best forms can really be a moving thing in the same way that, you know, non-religious art might be. It, it, it has an impact on us. If you go to the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan or wherever it may be, and you, you stand in front of a sculpture or a painting and, and you just become moved by it, it's just sort of seemingly a lifeless piece, but, uh, but it, it moves us. And I, th- I think rituals play on that. I think religious rituals in their best forms play on that movement of the body. And I think that's what we need to recapture within the religious traditions is, is to um, remember that artistry, remember the, the importance of how it, it needs to move our bodies. Uh, that's, that's what gets us uh, going and uh, moves us uh, to, to, to action and to tradition and to memory and to community. We're talking about how we die, but what does this have to do with how we, how we live? Yeah, death and life are, are, of course, intimately intertwined with each other. Many traditions, uh, there's a strong strain of Christianity, strong strains within Buddhism that will suggest it's important to keep the, keep the image of death in front of us uh, throughout our lives. Uh, a good death, uh, the, the, the image, the understanding that we will all die should change our life in some ways. And uh, so we want to uh, go into that good death, but uh, but part of that is by living a good life in the first place. Um, you can't, according to many uh, schools of schools of thought, you just can't have a good life unless you understand death in the first place. Um, and I, I think there's something uh, you know really really profound in that. Uh, again, I think we're, we're we, we've professionalized death in our modern society and we've pushed it away from our, from our actual lives. When someone dies, we call them up, uh, call up the, um, you know, funeral services that take the body away and deal with it. We don't spend time with the body. Um, we, we eliminate real death from our, um, you know, our news, our television, things like that. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we should have that on, but again, we've, uh, we, we have no problem fictionalizing death and, uh, in our movies and, and television shows. So we, we're missing, again, a connection with real death. And um, we're, we're letting professionals and mass media industry create our understanding of death for us. And when we do that, we we lose um, we lose what these traditions, uh, these great traditions like Christianity and Buddhism, have had to say for thousands of years is that um, we we need to be in touch with death in order to live our lives better. Uh, in part, it's just it keeps us humble. It keeps us uh, uh, understanding that you know, again, rich or poor, um, we we will all die. And uh, that's an important thing to keep in front of us. Um, but it also challenges our, our ethics and our, our sense of communal um, 
it, it's a it's a it's a social and communal thing. We will all die. It's not just me, but it's it's all of us together. We will all die, and that should you know ideally connect us to each other, make us make us realize that we're all in this together. Uh, I think the recent you know responses to the coronavirus and so many of us living in uh, kind of a lockdown state and connecting in in various ways through Skype and telephone calls and emails, uh, I think it's made us aware again of how much we do rely on each other and how much we do uh, need each other uh, in spite of our, our isolation, in spite of our contemporary uh, individualism. Um, this threat of death that uh, has sort of overcome so much of the globe right now uh, makes us realize that we're that we are in it together. That uh, no one is immune to it. That uh, you know, leaders of countries can can get this um, can get this virus uh, as much as anybody else. So that sense of uh, death coming into life that that death needs to be part of our lives. Uh, and that's not grim. That's not morbid. That's just that's that's reality. Um, it, it's unfortunate that we think that's grim and morbid. Uh, that's that's part of this uh, contemporary culture. I think casting its magic on us, making us think that uh, everything's going to be okay. That princesses may fall asleep, but all it takes is a, a kiss from a prince, and they'll wake up and overcome death. Um, and, and, and many of these stories, these mythologies are, are about overcoming death in various ways. And, and that's just not human. That's <laughs> not the way it, not the way it works. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a mythology and it's, um, I, I think not, it, it's, it's been a destructive mythology, this, um, this pushing death away from us and in, in all the ways that we've let our, let our mass media do that. Um, that's become a problem for us. Well, it makes uh, religion even that much more important, thinking about a life, perhaps a life even after death. S. Brent Rodriguez-Plate, thank you for your powerful thinking. You're welcome. Thanks so much for, for having me on. Our guest was Hamilton College professor S. Brent Rodriguez-Plate. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer with production assistance from Jonathan Smith. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening.